Recently, I was the moderator for a panel of automotive designers to talk about the trends they see coming in the future. The event was held by the Automotive Press Association in conjunction with the Michelin Design Challenge and the Eyes on Design. Rather than talk about what cars in the future are going to look like, these designers talked about the major trends they see happening in today's society and how they're likely to impact car design. Trends like the emergence of megacities in developing nations and the fact that many young people in densely populated areas are not interested in owning cars. We thought this discussion was so insightful and illuminating that we built today's show around it. The four designers you'll hear from today are Clay Dean from General Motors, Scott Strong from Ford, Phil Zach from Hyundai, and Larry Erickson, the head of the Automotive Design School at the College for Creative Studies. If you want to get a better understanding of how the forces in society are going to impact how cars get designed in the very near future, stay right where you are. We'll be back right after this. This is AutoLine. Here now is John McElroy. Let's start out with uh, the, the whole concept of uh, urbanization and what's going on there. And, and Clay, since you're on the end, I'm going to throw it to you. What are the main trends that you see coming in terms of urbanization? And I, I think this megacities uh, topic is the one. And Explain what that's about and how you think that's going to affect design. Well, it's a, it's a good question, I think, and it's very timely with some of the activities that we're doing at the Shanghai Expo right now. I think a lot of you have seen and I've been a part of seeing the uh, E&V projects that we have that are at the uh, Shanghai Expo. And that really is an outcome of a lot of uh, studies, urbanization studies that are going on. And we're, it's an ongoing study that we've got a whole group doing what we call megacity studies. And how do people move through a city? And megacities are New York barely sneaks in as a megacity. So when we look at things like Paris and Mumbai and, and Rio, um, uh, Singapore, these are just massive, massive Shanghai, massive places with... Uh, just a tremendous amount of uh, population. I think anybody who's been to Seoul and wakes up in the morning and looks across the city and sees how many skyscrapers you see and you realize just how many people are concentrated in one space, how do you move those people around through a city rationally? What, what, what do they do that's not uh, public transportation? So we're trying to understand how this will shape the automobile going forward in the future. So the ENVs that we have at the Shanghai show are one story, one point of view of, uh, well, let's explore this and let's see can it actually be something that actually can work because congestion is a huge issue. Um, people, there's no doubt that public transportation in these big places you, ha you have to have. You just can't push that much through a city street. But people do want to have a private mode of transportation and what can that be? And so we have to understand what that, what that is. Okay, you used the term E and V. Did I get that right? E and V, what, uh, which are vehicles. That? It's, uh, they're little two-place vehicles, uh, electric, electric, electrically connected vehicles. So they're electric propulsion. They're autonomous driving opportunities. They read each other. They can move through the city by themselves, or you can drive them. Um, they, uh, they're connected together, so they're reading traffic flows. When you think about moving through a city, spend any time in L.A., any time of the day or night, any time of the week, it's a pain in the tail. I think everybody knows that. It. It's like there's no one place except for two in the morning where the freeway actually flows. Um, and a lot of it is just looky-loo people that stop and slow down and see what's going on. You always get past the, uh, a blockade and you wonder what caused that problem. There's no accident. 
So if you can connect the vehicles together, so they read each other, they can start, they can stop, they avoid accidents, they'll, they'll do the things that you need them to do when they need it to do so you keep traffic flowing and moving. It's a safety opportunity, it's a distracted driving opportunity. Um, so there's, there's all those things that are connected to it. But um, it's really exploring several things in one little vehicle. It's small, you can park them in a, in a much more compressed place. I think three times as many vehicles in the same space as an automobile. Um, they turn on a dime, you know, so they, uh, it, it's, it's, they're, it, it's a worthy place to explore another alternative. I think one of the things as we talk about as we go further forward, you know, we're all stuck on cars, and a car has four wheels. Does it really? And does it have to? And does it have to have two doors? Um, does it need, when we talk of mobility, does mobility give us an opportunity from a designer's point of view to completely conceive of something totally different. And I think that's kind of where we're going. I think we have to, it doesn't mean we're going to replace the automobile. It just means that there perhaps are some other opportunities. Larry Erickson uh, from CCS, as, as you have your students working on projects, what do you all talk about in terms of this urbanization? And are these autonomous connected electric cars some of the things that you see in the future? Well, when we're developing the students, which is really the core of what we do, we need to develop people that can find a job, not only when they graduate, but 10 years after that and 10 years after that. So what you try to do is set enough solution, you know, problem sets up to where they can get their thinking together and provide, you know, creativity to all these people. So you might have a junior class that's working on a closed community car, um, you know, dovetailing into some place like Clemson. Um, the other factor is you've got students from all over the world. We've got students from China and India and things like that. So you try to um, construct problem sets and teams of people developing ideas of what might come. But when you look al just alone at this country and you look at a population density map of the United States and you see that it has these very select pockets and it has very open areas, every one of those regions is an opportunity. So at the same time, you may need a you know, full-size pickup truck on alternative power, you may also need a closed community car. And um, to simulate those problem sets before they exist, uh, it takes a lot of uh, relationships with the companies. And we've done a project with GM on electric vehicles and how they interact with the customer before it even happens. Because mm -hmm. how, how do you trade off, you know? They could plug their Volt in every day or, or never plug it in and put fuel in it. We've done projects with Hyundai through the Ann Arbor facility and some of the California, and we just finished a project with Ford. There's so many different projects that it takes all these subject matter experts, sometimes people in the room, Kevin George and other folks in the, out in the crowd, to help us you know, bring those problems with some gravity to the students. Scott Strong from Ford. Uh, one of the trends we see in urbanization, particularly in Europe, is where the automobile has been banned from city center areas. Uh, Paris is even talking about eliminating uh, uh, the freeway that runs uh, on the, the right bank of the Seine. Uh, what do you see going along these lines, and is that a threat to the automobile and, and even to the industry going forward? Uh, no, I actually don't think it's a threat. I, I do recognize it's, it's, it's a probability. I think Clay has kind of uh, summed it up. And I've just returned from my first experience in some of those megacities that, that Clay is describing. And the first time I saw Shanghai and Beijing and, 
and Mumbai. I, I, as, as, as someone having never seen a true megacity, I was, I was truly astounded. And, and you have to, it does give you cause for pause to think, well, can all of these people actually drive cars as we've known them for the, for the last, you know, 50 years or so? So I do think there have to, has to be a conscientious uh, creative uh, effort to start to grapple with that. Now, having said that, <clears throat> I read with interest recently that China will build the equivalent of every freeway in, the America, in, in North America in the next 10 years. So all, so all the freeways we've built over the last 50 or 60 years, they will build over the next 10 years. And the number one pollutant is, is cement gas going up from uh, uh, you know, laying those freeways out. So uh, while there is certainly no question that we will need alternative transportation modes, be it, uh, be it uh, um, mass transit or smaller, uh, um, smaller personal use or autonomous use vehicles, as you visit those countries, there is a strong desire to retain the magic that's associated with automobiles and the freedom and lack, and, and the opposite of the autonomy you get in mass transportation. So I see a very diverse world. But I also think uh, that we'll, we'll have to come up with a different formula for personal UV use vehicles that are maybe more, uh, tread more softly on the environment, uh, lighter weight, more uh, fuel efficient, no less fun to drive, but a lot different than what we're probably doing today. You, you know, when you think about it, one of the things, you know, I think, you know, we're all in this industry because we like cars, at least I hope. I think that's what, what the part of it is. And I think there's um, um, the, the joy of driving that you talk about. Um, when you think about, you know, we, we, you can glamorize from out here, California and sunshine and hot rodders and all these magical things that you connect with an automobile, trends that begin. And then you go out there and you try to drive around. It's like, man, there's no magic here at all. And what, what happened to the fun of driving a car here and doing things? Mm. And so you almost, I think it's, it's almost important for us as an industry to be responsible enough to walk in and say, okay, if I need to find a way to re restore that romance and love of interacting with a car again so that I can uh, minimize what's going on around me. So you know, you go to California, you talk to people, folks out there have three, four, five cars, you know, vehicles that they use for various different things. This is for work, and this is for this. Well, what if there are opportunities that help to minimize moving around every day, that this, the, this the busyness of going to some place, and if it's easier to move about, and then you retain, you minimize how much traffic is on a freeway or on a road, but you keep the vehicles that you want to have for the times you want to experience it and, and have joy. It's almost as if you just want to be responsible and wise to create some solutions that make better sense so that we can somehow keep the things that we want that are enjoyable and exciting and, and are, that are full of passion. And I think that's one way to kind of look at it from, from urbanization in America's point of view. Um, uh, you can look at uh, Gordon Murray's car, this little small uh, iCar that he's got, which, you know, it's, it's this little bug of a car. You know, it's almost like a little smart car. If it's three across, then, but it's a dynamic little handler, supposedly. So you can have passion and excitement in this little, little small space. We have to be open-minded to explore lots of things. Phil Zach, we've got to get you in here from Hyundai. What do you make of all this uh, move <laughs> yeah, to mass cities and urbanization? Yeah, talking on all this, a couple experiences, because with the joy of driving, living in California now, I've done exactly that. Uh, I've gone out at 2 in the morning to hit the canyon roads when there's no traffic, because I do miss that part <laughs> being in California. And then uh, some of my experience has been in, in Seoul, where I've actually been in, a, in traffic in a car going to the headquarters, 
and it's a half hour drive, I can see the building, it's a five minute walk. So there does need to be something that somehow if, the, if vehicles are you know, used to get into maybe a hub around the city and then more public transportation or things are taken to get into the local areas, maybe there's a, a small fix that could be done in, in regional areas to kind of help move people around. But you sit there and it's like, th this is a, a kind of a big predicament for the uh, industry in general. It, maybe just picking up on that point, um, if you look at younger generations, I think we're starting to see a shift in terms of how they see cars in many respects. So I've, I've got a 19-year-old son, and he's grown up or spent the last four years in Melbourne, Australia. And I was really astounded that he, unlike me, was not all that fussed about getting his driver's license. I, I couldn't figure it out. It was a rite of passage for our generation. And we, didn't, we were probably counted the days after we turned 16 before we had that thing in our hand. But the reason he wasn't so concerned about it is because they have a terrific rapid transit system there. And he and his friends could get to anywhere they wanted to go inside the inner city, have, have a ball, uh, uh, you know, party it up and get home without any fuss. Now, he loves cars. He, he enjoys it. But it, I think there was, there's, there's, there's a message there about, uh, about, you know, when you're in a highly populated area, uh, how much more convenient it is just to get on a really nice uh, streetcar or bus or something, go to where you want to go, not have to worry about parking and get back outside. So again, I think we'll see a world that develops into, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's about solving the problem, isn't it? It's about, you know, what's the appropriate and relevant solution in this context versus that context. On the other hand, when you've got a couple of hundred miles of windy or straight road, you certainly don't want to be sitting in an autonomous right. uh, kind of thing where you don't ha can it, can where it becomes a very, uh, you know, boring experience. Yeah, and, we'll, and we'll be pushed on what, what's happening in urbanization around us. So as cities are reinvented and as population centers come back to cities, you can walk around downtown L.A. and you see some, a renaissance happening where people are moving back into the cities and lofts and everything else. The transportation needs will be a little different. And so as we look about, to, to Larry's point, you know, you need to be able to be wise enough that you can understand, okay, what is the new problem? What are the potential solutions? So it isn't just about us designing a car because we like what we want to do. It's what are, what are the new scenarios that we have to think about? And the needs might be very, very, very different in terms of what they think they need for transportation. But location-wise, too, it may vary on what it actually becomes. I mean, if, you, if going back and looking around where I'm at in sunny California, Razor scooters are personal mobility for all the young kids. So as they're growing up and they're getting older, maybe there's something where they're, they don't mind having something that is just theirs. Get on public transportation, you get so far, mm -hmm. you get on some you know, personal scooter and they take that wherever they need to go. What do you all make, too, of this trend that we see coming out of Japan? We're talking about megatrends, uh, urbanization, and demographic changes. Young people there, not interested in cars at all, just don't have any interest in them. We're right in the middle of trying to understand, you know, this new generation of youth and the value sets that they have. One of the things, and they're, they're complex like everybody else, they're very similar to us and our values, but one of the things that's very different about them is they, they long for experiences, not things. They want to go places. They want to travel. They want to, uh, they're looking at other things other than automobiles or things like that. And that's what we're seeing happening in Japan, where rather than buy a car, rather than, than uh, you know, uh, careers there are very different than they used to be for, uh, from a point. But um, I don't know if we see that happening here. It might be happening in other places. But I do think what is very clear is that uh, the youth of, of tomorrow and the ones that are here today 
Um, their value sets are different. It will change what they will buy. It'll change what they will invest in. And they're, uh, they've just gone through a, a, a dramatic economic you know, uh, experience that perhaps has shaped many of them the same way it shaped those that came out of the Depression. How they save, what they invest in, what they're willing to buy, what they're willing to sacrifice, what they're willing to use for credit. Um, we've come out of an experience with uh, automobiles where leasing was almost like free cars. Um, you think about what it's done to our industry. It's just collapsed it. And I think it's because cars, we didn't have value sets because they were, they were just so cheap to, to acquire. That's changed. And it's changing their perception of what they will buy and what they'll be willing to buy. So these value things, and it, we're seeing, we saw it emerge out of, out of Japan. We're seeing hints of it here that this, a more thorough, full life of doing things versus acquiring things is something to pay attention to. I think I think you hit it on the head. I mean, when you talk about uh, young young people in Tokyo or wherever there's a concentration concentrated population, I suspect it's about the value proposition. I think they conclude that investing in this this set of wheels just doesn't make sense. It doesn't enhance their lives uh, based on the cost of buying a parking place in Tokyo. And it, you have to have that to own a car. There are so many, you know. Uh, there's such a downside to owning cars, not just there, but even in places like New York City. New York, so yeah. I think, uh, and you add to that that they're connected through the media to their friends and they can go anywhere in the world, you know, sitting in front of a screen or with their handheld. And suddenly this thing uh, is viewed in a com completely differently than in a rural or urban environment where you really need to cover open spaces on your time schedule, et cetera. So uh, again, I think it's all, con it, it all it becomes very contextual and, uh, and it's, it will vary depending on where you find yourself on the planet. You know, and, and for us as designers, it's a huge opportunity because when you think about it, you know, what does this mean for us and how we're gonna design cars and, and, and create things? Well, you, you touched on a great point. We need solutions for a mega city. I need, for solu I need solutions in Idaho, you know, that, yeah. There is no, there's no subway there, boy. And um, so you're going to have a very different set of automobile choices. So as a designer and as a company, we have opportunities to, to provide a lot of choices. So I think it opens up, um, uh, you know, it's, for, for designers, it's exciting because you can have a lot of things to design. Yeah, and, it, 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 and I, I think the other thing that's really key there is Somehow the key, key to all of that is, is the, maintaining the individual expression. Yes. Because that, let's face it, that's kind of where you go, well, you, know, you, you referenced uh, the Razor or just even a skateboard. It's, it's a skateboard, but it's my skateboard. It's got my graphic on it, yeah. and, and it's mine. And yeah. I think there's still a, 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 a sort of an interesting dynamic there about resisting autonomy to a certain extent. And so... I think the key is to find a way to have all the benefits uh, that you get with, with a public system without losing your personal identity. Because as we be, I think as you find yourself in a sort of a, a sea of people in a large city, personal identity becomes even more important. Mm -hmm. You don't want to be just a part of this gray mouse society where no one can recognize you from someone else. And I think that's kind of why there's a resistance for us all to embrace, you know, a, a public system, so to speak. But, but I think also that, you know, if there's a lack of desire for a car or a personal transportation, it's because of what they're offering. Because, 
when I grew up, if somebody said, do you really want a phone, you'd go black thing mounted to the wall or pink princess thing mounted to the wall, and that was the end of the choices. You know, now a phone is everything, you know. Some phones make you sound like a hamster when you speak into them, you know, you just repeat it back. So there's all these things in a phone. Now take that same mindset and put it into something that moves you, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden there may be a whole different world of, you know, cars are the biggest thing you can wear. You can't wear your house, you can't wear your stock portfolio, and you can't wear your family history. But you get in a car and you're it. Now, right now we think of that being a Ferrari or a Porsche or whatever. But just think of an experience of movement and light and sound and all those things together. And it's like this nightclub moving around, you know, congregating with your friends. Now, is that coming out of a factory someplace? No, but technology is moving pretty quick for Mm -hmm. 10 years from now. But I think convenience, too. The automobile was convenient for people to travel, yep. and now it's based on region. It's what kind convenient. of becomes the convenient travel mm. for you, and what's going to adapt from that? Well, you know, a lot of kids in L.A., the, one of the big hindrances of them going into the city is, where am I going to park my car? It's mm. so expensive. It's such a pain. I'll drive around for 20 minutes to try to find a place to park. So the intimidation is they won't even enjoy going to a place because the, the, the challenges are just maneuvering around just are so daunting. They don't want to deal with it. Mm. So that's a horrible situation to have. And what about one of these other trends? And Phil, why don't you pick up on this? Uh, Zipcar, where you just use oh, the car yeah. when you need it. In, in fact, they've been so successful, now even Hertz is trying to do its own version of that. Yeah, exactly. Even uh, in Europe, they've got bicycles that are around. You can just kind of credit card, jump on, go take it where you need to, return it. Uh, I can see a lot of that happening. One thing on the transportation side, too, on the L.A. standpoint, uh, lane splitting on, on motorcycles. It just becomes a little bit more uh, convenient uh, to kind of run those. But I, I guess the, the point on if you can take a car to a certain area outside a city, you know, trade that in for something else, uh, scooter, electric vehicle, uh, personal mobility, that could be a next, next direction. So in terms of not just having an automobile, but you, you, you literally buy Part system, mobility. Yeah. Part of a system. Yeah. yeah. You need but, utility for the weekend. You, yeah. you need something big to go to the mountains to haul the family. Borrow that for the weekend. I think that is the most interesting opportunity of how the interaction of are we, are we going to buy a car or are we going to buy a membership to transportation choices where I could just do whatever I want. I mean, we do it as company cars all the time. Yeah, for the weekend I need a Suburban and just kind of turn your car and get something else. You, know, you get used to it. You, you almost become ignorant to the, the, the convenience. Um, but if you could do that and if there is a, just like going to a gym, swiping your card, take something and run and then bring it back and you're, you're done with it. It's like, you know, you think about anything, we do it with so many things that we have from, from, um, from uh, movies that, uh, that we rent. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, our life is about a lot of this. And uh, so do we have to own it or is it part of a system that just that lives around us and we, we, we participate in it? You can already do that with exotics. You can... You know, you're in a lease, you've got 12 exotics, you pay so much, boom, you can take whichever one you want for a certain period of time. You know, just matter of before that comes down, it's like, all right, here's a Suburban, here's a you know, Genesis, here's a bunch of other vehicles. Which one do you want? I th- think as that starts to transpire, then how that object interacts with you, whether it's a SIM card or whatever the format mm-hmm. is, that, that that intellectual property that defines how the car looks, reacts, whatever, that'll become more and more the issue. You, you think about it, with anybody with our phones, we buy a service, and the phone is free, right? Supposable. So the, the service is important for it. You know, whether you have AT&T, whether you have Verizon, that's a big deal. I mean, that's a partnership. You, you're buying a brand with that. And, and even the phone that you get for free, it might be whatever it is, 
Unfortunately, I don't have an iPhone. So um, that's a problem because the perception is, well, he's not real progressive. He doesn't have something as good. And that is, so the, 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 the brand presence, the, who I am, what does it define me? What shoes do I wear? What suit do I have? What car do I drive? These things that define us or that we think define us, which is where designers need to react to. So to a lot of kids, having an iPhone, that's a huge deal. Having the latest iPhone is awesome. Anybody who pays attention to all these leaks that have happened in the last couple of weeks of the new iPhone, people are like, it's like watching for a new car to come out. And it's just a doggone phone. But people are so passionate about it. But the service you get and the experience you have and where it takes you, what it does, people used to talk about that for automobiles not too long ago. So I think we need to be wise that this is a change. And, and the fact that we would interact with these things differently, maybe we don't own it the same way, doesn't mean that the emotional experience and the design experience won't change. So I think we need to think about that. I found today's discussion fascinating about how the automobile is under threat from the emergence of megacities that are unfriendly to today's cars, all the way to a new generation of young people who have no interest in owning an automobile. Of course, that's the kind of challenge that designers thrive on. But the key is knowing and recognizing the challenges that they're up against. And that's why we wanted to bring you in this discussion so that you understand it too. A programming note here, we'll be off the air for the next two weeks as Detroit Public Television conducts its pledge drive. As always, we ask you to offer your support for this show and all the others. And for all of us here at AutoLine Detroit, thanks for watching.